1: Bob Cousy had been underestimated his entire life. He could not make his high school team until his third year of high school. Even then, he barely played until he was a senior. In college, the coach barely played him his first couple of years. He only started playing as a starter in his final year again, as a senior. Then it came to the NBA draft nobody wanted him his draft rights kept bouncing around to a few different teams until he landed with the celtics and even they didn't want him they only let him come to training camp because why not red auerbach fully expected to cut him from the team after just a few days bob Cousy had to prove people wrong his entire life this is a story of bob Cousy, the underdog and this is basketball history 101. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza Welcome back to award-winning Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is a podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. We are bringing old school basketball to a new school audience. And today we bring you the story of one of the biggest underdogs in NBA history, Bob Cousy. That might sound a little weird because Bob Cousy is considered one of the greatest players in NBA history. He has made every single anniversary list that he has been eligible for. He made the NBA's 25th, 35th, 50th, and 75th anniversary teams. Many consider Cousy to be the living blueprint of what the modern point guard looks like. He was a smaller player who knew how to run offense at the NBA level or any level for that matter. He controlled the ball and made the right pass at the right time. The man led the NBA in assists for 8 straight years. Not bad for an underdog. He was also the 1957 league MVP. He was a 12-time All-NBA, 13-time All-Star, 2-time All-Star Game MVP, and a 6-time NBA champion. Those accolades put Kuzi on the list of the 10 greatest point guards of all time alongside players like Oscar Robertson, Magic Johnson, Isaiah Thomas, John Stockton, Steve Nash, Jason Kidd, Chris Paul, Walt Frazier, and Steph Curry. In the late 1950s, he was considered to be one of the most dynamic and exciting players to watch. The guy could sell tickets. And basketball fans in every NBA city wanted a chance to see Cousy in action. At the time that he retired in 1963, he was considered the greatest point guard of all time. And if you look at that list of the 10 best point guards that I just went through, all of the other nine point guards on that list came after Bob Cousy. So because of all of this, it is hard to imagine him ever being considered an underdog player, but that is exactly what he was. He was underestimated his entire career. Maybe you have been underestimated at some point in your life? I mean, I know that I have. There have been too many instances in my life where someone took one look at me and assumed that I was far less intelligent than I really am or that I must be a poor speaker. All of this based solely on the way that I look. Now, maybe that has happened to you? Maybe you are a person who has been underestimated too many times? Well, Join the club. It's you, me, and Bob Cousy. Now much of what led to Cousy being underestimated probably had to do with his height. He was never very tall. He was 6'1 one or 185 centimeters at his tallest. But he had a lot of heart. But that is not something a coach can see just by looking at him. He also had a lisp. His R's came out like L's. It was sometimes difficult to understand his speech when he was young. In fact, he never called Red Auerbach by his name because his name Red started with the letter R. He could not properly pronounce the name Red. So he always called him Arnold, his given name, because it was easier for him to pronounce. He would pronounce the R in Arnold like an H. So it came out Arnold. Also, he was raised in New York City by French parents and they spoke French in the house, so he had a French and New York accent mixed together. Now It was no picnic living at home as his parents had a very troubled marriage. His mother, Juliette, was a very proud French woman who carried with her nightmarish memories of World War I and what the German army did to her country and to her people. It produced in her a raging hatred toward anything German. She even had a difficult time with the fact that one of Bob Cousy's best friends in the Celtics was Tommy Heinzen, because Heinzen is a German name. This ran really deep with her. Now, Cousy's father, Joe Cousy, was from a small French farming village near the German border. When the German army attacked France during World War I, one of the first villages they captured was the one where Joe Cousy was from. The German army conscripted all of the young men of the village into the German army. In other words, Even though they were French by birth, culture, and language, all of the men from Joe Cousy's village were forced to fight in the German army or face death. Now even though Joe and Juliette Cousy were married for decades, she always resented her husband for fighting on the side of the Germans. But he did not have much of a choice. His choices were to fight or be executed. She verbally abused her husband regularly. Now young Bobby Coozy could not stand it at home. He loved both of his parents, but he never understood why his father would take such abuse without even saying a word. The Coozy home was not a happy home by any stretch, and that affected how Bob viewed himself. He had a lot going against him in terms of life and being a basketball player. In high school in the mid-1940s, he had trouble just making the team. He attended Andrew Jackson High School in Queens, New York, and he was cut as a freshman and ended up playing in the local Catholic Youth League, or CYL. There in the CYL, he would continue to develop his game. The following year, he barely made the team. So he played another year of CYL basketball to keep his skills sharp. It was not until his final year of high school that he received significant playing time and he played just well enough to receive some attention from college programs. He was always considered undersized, but his skill with the ball was undeniable. He was offered a scholarship to the College of the Holy Cross located in one of my favorite cities to pronounce, Worcester, Massachusetts. Here, he was underestimated again. He was good enough to land the scholarship but not good enough to make an immediate impact. Well, this is a good place to take a break, and I'll be right back with Koozie's time at Holy Cross.
0: This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.
2: unique items with a retro and historical designs dating back to 1876 including t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, phone cases, mugs, blankets, pillows, towels and even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetworkcom ROW number 1 for access to the full Row 1 catalog and for gallery prints and gift items. Plus get a 15% discount off all prints on the Row 1 Pictorum Gallery with coupon code SHN15. Follow the link on the show notes. Hi, everybody. Dan and Andrew from Hello Old Sports here. We wanted to drop in and let you know about our latest episode. That's right. We interviewed the co-authors of Phyllis George Shattering the Ceiling, a biography of groundbreaking broadcaster Phyllis George. And her life is really sort of a journey through 20th century America, from Miss America pageants to the Kentucky State House to the groundbreaking NFL Today show on CBS. Even the Kentucky Colonels, the old ABA. We got into all sorts of stories about the Celtics under Red Arback, about the interview with Roger Staubach, about really all sorts of things, a fight between Brent Musburger and Jimmy the Greek. We really enjoyed talking with Lenny Shulman and Paul Volponi, who teamed up to write this book. The book is on sale right now wherever books are sold you know within reason garage sales probably not so go ahead and pick up a copy today and if you want a chance to win the book you can go to sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways and register for a chance to win goodbye old sports
1: Welcome back to the show and let us continue with the story of Bob Cousy. Just before the break, I shared how Cousy was raised by French parents who immigrated to the United States after World War I. He then barely made his high school team and did not really get some serious playing time until his final year, which led him to land at the College of the Holy Cross. During his second year at Holy Cross, the team went all the way and won the NCAA championship. Unfortunately for Cousy, he watched most of the season from the bench. He played only a few minutes here or there. On the court, he contributed very little to that championship. The coach just felt that he was not ready to really make an impact. After all, look at how short he was. Even in his third year at Holy Cross, he was still not playing that much. The coach preferred taller players. But the one thing that they could not deny was that Kuzi was popular with the fans and other students. There were games where the student section would chant, we want Kuzi, we want Kuzi. He was an extremely well-liked student on campus. So, the coach would give in to the student section and insert Kuzi into the game, where he would score 10 or 12 points in just a couple of minutes before getting yanked back to the bench. Really, it made no sense. The guy could obviously score and score quickly. The student section seemed to know exactly what they had in Bob Kuzi. It's too bad that the coach could not figure it out. However, keep in mind that this was the late 1940s and Kuzi's flashy dribbling style was not considered fundamental back then. He was considered a showboat type player, but he really was not. Even in interviews after his playing days, he said that he never dribbled behind his back or delivered a no-look pass just for the sake of it. Every move he ever made with the ball had a game purpose to it. In other words, it was not showboating for the sake of showboating, but his coach did not see it that way. He thought Cousy to be a selfish prima donna type player. Cousy got so frustrated with his lack of playing time that he contacted St. John's University in New York about transferring there. But the coach at St. John's, who was friends with the coach at Holy Cross, convinced Cousy to stay where he was and he would be just fine. Cousy took the advice and stayed at Holy Cross. He also had to consider the fact that at the time when a college player transfers from one school to another, they have to sit out an entire season before they can join their new team. It was not until his final year of college when he really would establish himself as one of the best players in the nation. As the full-time point guard, he led Holy Cross to a number four national ranking and an appearance in the NIT tournament, which was still a prestigious accomplishment. After his performance, during that final year at Holy Cross, he would surely be drafted to the NBA. He was just sure of it. The NBA also had something called the territorial pick. This meant that if the Celtics really wanted him, they could just have him since he played his college ball within 40 miles of the Boston Garden, the home of the Celtics. He was absolutely sure that he was going to be playing for the Celtics the following season where he could play in front of many of the same fans that followed him at Holy Cross. Well, the Celtics did not draft him. In fact, Red Auerbach, the Celtics coach, wanted nothing to do with him. He just could not see the potential. Red would tell people that he was not interested in drafting some local yokel. He wanted quality players who could help win basketball games. Red's philosophy was that the best way to sell tickets to an NBA game was not to just draft local college stars, but rather to put a winning team on the court. He felt that winning sells tickets a lot more than anyone's personality or where they played their college ball. If Kuzi wanted to play for the Celtics, it was going to take a miracle for him to land there since they were pretty set against drafting him. Well, a miracle is what the Celtics got. This is a story for our next episode where we bring you part two of the Bob Kuzi story. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There, you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loaiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care, and see you soon.
0: Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, aka the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are...